This episode of the Peace on Drugs podcast is brought to you by marijuana. Marijuana, marijuana the burning weed with its roots in hell. In the wake of the Mexican Civil War, the U.S. had thousands of Mexicans immigrate to the Southwest from 1910 to 1920. This escalated anti-Mexican immigrant sentiment. Sound familiar? And this anti-Mexican sentiment brought us reefer madness. Head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and father of the war on drugs, Harry Anslinger launched a propaganda campaign to create racist narratives like people who smoke marijuana are of an inferior race. Anslinger decided to use the word marijuana instead of cannabis to connect use of the plant to Mexicans, to which a lot of people at the time weren't too fond of. Anslinger's propaganda campaign to drive up fear of drugs by appealing to Americans' racist tendencies was helped by billionaire William Randolph Hearst, who had his own motive for demonizing the plant. He had a lot of money in paper mills and tree farms, and there was a growing movement towards switching to hemp, which would have cost him a lot of money. So he helped spread the racist anti-drug propaganda to help get it outlawed. To quote Anslinger, there are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana use. This marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and any others. So remember, to be anti-marijuana is to be a xenophobic, racist asshole. All right. Today's guest is Kristen Jones, my sister. This is her third time being on the podcast. She has a lot to say because she listens to my podcast. She listened to the opioid crisis, so I wanted to get her opinion on that. Also, she majored in Latin American studies. She has her master's in this, so she understands more than most what's going on south of the border, hence why I chose that for our fake advertisement at the beginning because of the uh, racial things that are in the word marijuana and why we should maybe use the word cannabis. Um, though I did find out that the person who coined the phrase cannabis while I was researching for that, for this today's commercial, that the person who coined that also uh, created a separate chart for different um, races of people based on their intelligence of where his perceived differences in intelligence were. So he was also a racist asshole. Let's just face it. There's a lot of racism in the past that is still alive into the things that are happening and going on today. So me and my sister, we talk about these things. We talk about what's going on south of the border. We talk about the opioid crisis, and we talk about things from our past. I had a cool conversation. I went up to North Carolina. I was visiting, so it wasn't done in the studio. It was done in her kitchen. There are some noises and things happening around. That's what happens when we're not in the studio, but it was great. It was a chance and opportunity for me to speak with her again. And catch up with Kristen. I hope you enjoy this week's Peace on Drugs podcast with Kristen Jones. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug drugs abuse. Drugs are menacing our society. Any thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the Peace on Drugs. On drugs. All right, and we are live. Kristen Jones back in the house. Peace on Drugs podcast. Third time you've done this. This time, though, I want to talk to you about something different because you just listened to my opioid crisis, 
and I feel like a lot of I've actually been getting a lot of downloads and feedback it's really good but some people like to hear a conversation not just me explaining something so I feel like we can talk a little bit about what the podcast was um, because it's such an important issue with opioid crisis but um, before we jump into that I'd like to just explain to my listeners what we're doing I'm sitting at your kitchen table in your house in Mount Holly North Carolina which is a little town right outside of Charlotte Leaves outside are absolutely beautiful. Oranges, red, yellow, green. Yeah. And we just got back from the mountains. Your mountain house. Yeah. And she did not silence her phone, so we have to redo all this. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Yeah, so we just spent some time with family, and uh, we were just talking about how we try to avoid politics with our family, and... um, I just did that psychedelic spirit if you listen to it, about how I'm going to see my family. I'm going up there with the intention of not having any political discussions and just having creating great memories. And so far, so good. It's been a good yeah. time, right? Yeah. It, it is hard to stay off the topic because everything's so uh, politicized right now. Everything's poli- everything has a political charge to it. Everything. So it's, you know. Yeah, you bring up, like I said, I brought up my buddies on the Border Patrol. I was like, my buddies just joined the Border Patrol. I mean, like, well, it's not really, patrol- not really patrolling the border so much. It's just letting everybody in. And you're like, oh, oh uh, I said something wrong, wrong term. We better, I better dial yeah. it back and you know, go somewhere else with this. I know. I know. It's like what you were talking about with the six degrees. It's like one degree all the time. Just one step away from becoming political. Yes. I said COVID. Oh, no. Yeah. But, so yeah. many things. And masks and, uh, and uh, vaccines, things like that that are medical that should have not should not have anything politically charged about them. Yeah. If you want to, if you believe in vaccines or don't, this is a between you and your doctor or, or your medical advice. But now, and don't get me wrong, I've been guilty of it too. Where I'm like, you need to get vaccinated, and like I'm very yeah. outspoken. But now I've kind of pulled that back. I'm like, you know what? Why am I giving out medical advice? I think you should get vaccinated. I think it's for the better of everybody. But I don't know if, if you're worried yeah. about certain things medically going on with you or you're scared. Who am yeah. I to tell you what you have to do? I just I get vaccinated yeah. and then that's it. Yeah, I know. I, I do understand the reservations. We definitely have reservations about our children. Oh, yeah, how loud the munching is. Oh, we can move the dog to I'm, another I just room. want to put the headphones on here. <laughs> he chews up everything. He can go to the next room. Yeah, that's the sound of um, her, what, what it, so Aussie. Yeah, he's a mini, miniature. He's sitting there eating his bone. You can hear it in the mic. It's not, I don't think it's that annoying. <laughs> we don't give him a bone, he'll chew up toys. Yeah. Like kids' toys. Cute dog. So, um, so let's talk about the opioid crisis because you have two children. How old are they? Uh, one's seven and one's nine. The seven's about to be eight, so. So eight and a nine-year-old, and raising a child in this world because you know how it was growing up in Gastonia, where drugs were everywhere and yes. people experimented. We experimented. I, I experimented for sure. Um, and there was—I don't think it was that much of a danger. There was a danger, always a danger of the street drugs, but nothing compared to what's out there now. If, true. if there was fentanyl on the streets when I was growing up, I don't know that I'd still be here. I just don't know. Hey, me neither. And um, and also a lot of my friends, because we had, there was a house, I won't bring up their name, but you remember the house? Um, oh, I already know. I know where you're going yeah. with this. And yes. The, so mm-hmm. the father, uh, he worked at some job and broke his back. 
ended up on a lot of pain medications, which spilled over to his children who started abusing them, which spilled over to his children's friends, which were me and my friends. Mm -hmm. And we were all getting uh, insane amounts of MS cotton. Um, this is this was I want to say before OxyContin, or it was right when OxyContin was coming out, but they didn't have that. But they had MS cotton, they had the fentanyl pops, but there wasn't the street fentanyl like today. It was a regulated dose, it was a lollipop, mm -hmm. but it's still pretty potent, um, potent stuff. And um, and also there was heroin. I know that the dad at one point, my friend was dating his daughter, found him on the floor, passed out with a syringe in his arm, and woke him up. And he oh, he was, right, we had to get their, that dog out. Their, their dad. Their dad, yes, yeah. he was. Um, he was naked on the floor with a syringe in his arm. It just the amount of opioids that they gave this. This, I mean, because also he had more than he needed. So it, it was just an overprescribing of opioids. And I think that's a problem in itself. All right, we got the dog put up. Right. Cute dog. I, I hate to do that, but he's uh, chewing very loudly. <laughs> But, he likes um, to be close to us. Yeah. So, but so we all kind of abused opioids at that point in our lives, and um, it, luckily none of us got addicted. I shouldn't say none of us. One, the one kid at the end of the street did. He just got arrested recently, breaking in, breaking and entering. I think he had heroin on him. It was clearly stealing stuff for drugs. So uh, he and he was one of the neighbors that was very very close with this family. We're talking about. I'm not trying to bring up their names and do that, but. Um, I think that it destroyed his life, being that close to that source of opioid that was bleeding out of the house, and he ended up with a bad problem. And me and some other people that hung out there, we didn't hang out there enough and consistently enough to end up with the addictions, and we moved on. And, um, and But like I say, a lot of us did go on to try some street opioids, and um, there was no fentanyl at the time that we did them. It wasn't a thing yet. So I feel very fortunate about that. And as a mother, you have a few years left before you really have to worry about. Now you're homeschooling, so that's going to take some of the stresses off. Yes, it. You know, it, it would be. I always thought it would be nice to be able to pick and choose their friends, but as a parent, I guess growing up, I thought they can't do that. They can't pick and choose our friends. But now that I have kids. I can actually choose who we choose to play date with and they can start now is the time where they're going to form some relationships that go into their teenage years so I actually can in a way heavily influence who they become friends with so that's one thing when we talk about maybe getting out of Gaston County and, and Gaston County to me and I, I don't know if every other place is like this because there's so much poverty everywhere and that tends to go with drug usage but um definitely goes with but, drug abuse yes abuse yes yes um, so and I, I think that gastonia is one of those towns uh like you see a lot of these other towns you hear about in west virginia that have high uh, opioid abuse yeah um that gastonia had it was a mill town and, the, and when the textile jobs left gastonia's economy was devastated and charlotte was um you know, Charlotte kind of left it behind. So, so Gastonia just became its own because it wasn't close enough to Charlotte to really absorb a lot of the, the jobs, security that Charlotte offered. It did. And so, some people got jobs in Charlotte, but for the, but it was just kind of a little outcast city and it, and it, has, a, it has a reputation to a lot of people. Yeah. Especially people around here. They know about Gastonia. There was an article Rayburn sent 
somebody said, what's the top 10 cities to get in a fist fight in in North Carolina? Yeah. And they weren't going to allow Gastonia to be in the running because it was the obvious answer. That's what they said. It's so yeah. obvious. But Gaston County ended up winning because the next top three to Gastonia were all in Gaston County. So it's like Gaston County just takes the number one spot. Yeah. It, it's, I just feel like, I've, I don't know if it was the circles we ran in or if it's just kind of overall, but I feel like Gaston County... Gastonia especially has a lot of drug abuse and I, I really don't want my kids growing up here and being influenced that way. So we do look at other areas and, and think maybe those would be better places for our children. Maybe Boone. I, I mean, But I got to say this though. Think about the kids that we knew who did not fare well in this city and, were, and some of them who are no longer with us and some of them who are in jail. They didn't come from very solid families. And yeah. that's a big part of it. You and I did. You and I got out. And uh, Kyle Jones, your husband, he came from a solid family. Solid, and his, him and his brother are doing good. He, you know, I, I feel like that's a big part of it. It doesn't mean that you and him didn't experiment when you were growing up and that even experimenting can be deadly and that in itself. But I don't think you're going to stop your children from ever experimenting. Yeah. I think talking to them. When they get to that age, when you feel like they might go to a party and drink, that you explain to them drugs and say, you might want to try some. And say, I'm not telling you this to scare you from doing it. I'm telling you because it's the truth. If you smoke some pot, I don't want to know about it, but it's not going to kill you. I don't think you should do it till you're in college, personally. I think you should really abstain. But that's not going to kill you. If somebody offers you some pills, they could kill you. So I do not think you should mess around with those. And just be honest like that. Because when you lie about pot and you lie about pills, it kind of puts them all in the same umbrella. Yeah, no, we definitely, we talk about it some. We're not quite to the point where we feel like we have to nail down a solid plan yet. But um, we do talk about that, being honest with them and open with them. I mean, it's a really fine line being a parent because you have to keep those boundaries where I am still your parent. I'm not your friend. I, I, I want to be your friend, you know, to the extent that we have a good relationship, but I also want to be someone you look up to for good advice and definitely don't want to lie to them about things and all kinds of things, but definitely drug use is one of them. Um, but I would agree with when you talk about um, access to drugs, the, the way easier drugs to access are drugs that are illegal. I mean, obviously we couldn't get alcohol we, we just alcohol get is it. harder to get. You could get it sometimes. You have you know an uncle or somebody that would be willing to buy some for you. But it was never like they weren't happy about doing it, and they wouldn't do it often. And and or you might have a friend's liquor cabinet that you raided. So every once in a while we'd have alcohol, but it was harder to get. Way yeah. harder to get. It was. And um. A hundred percent way harder to get. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if you take drugs like if you if you got heroin and uh, these harder drugs to where they were legal for addicts to get. And people that had horrible problems that wanted, had the, felt the need to try heroin and could go to an actual doctor and talk to them about their problems and get these drugs, then they would not be on the streets the way they are. And fentanyl would go away. Also, a biggest thing that I talked about was the, um, the drug testing. If we had uh, places where you could send your or submit a sample of the drugs you purchase on the streets to be tested, because places like Spain and Portugal don't have legal drugs. They have decriminalized drugs. And if you have that, then even though people are still using drugs and that even though the cartels or whoever's selling is still making the money, they're safe for the users. And the cartels will sell what's going, what, what they can get away with selling. In this country, they can get away with selling whatever they want because we can't test them. But in a country like Spain, when the drugs come in, people take them to a test site, go, this is pure fentanyl. 
and they don't buy from the dealer again. The dealer knows this, so now they have heroin, they have MDMA, they have LSD, all three safer drugs than those that are sold in this country under those names. Mm -hmm. So I think we, if we're not willing to legalize, which I'm telling you right now, this country's not going to legalize anytime soon. Hopefully marijuana, or I should say cannabis, gets legalized federally soon. That I could see happening, but that's about it. Everything mm -hmm. else is staying off the table. So decriminalization is the next step. And that's yeah. what Portland's doing. California is talking about it. That's the next step. And if we could do that, then I think we can, your children have a better chance at at least having a safer environment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, all the crime and, um, and yeah, the bad things that, that these gangs and cartels and, and people do to, to, because of the illegal activity of uh, producing and selling the drugs, if, if that was taken significantly out of the picture, that would... Well, because think about it this way. If you have a legitimate business... Who is your security? The police are your security because yeah. you have a legit business. If you're selling drugs, who is your security? It's yourself. Yeah. And I've been, when I would grow up, I would go into these, you know, like, I don't want to say bad areas, but they were, or just, you know, poor areas. And I would go buy pot from some, some dude that was 19 years old. And he'd have guns all over his house, like fully automatic bullets laid out on the table. He's cleaning some of them and he'd have his pot. And it was almost like an intimidation thing. Like, yeah. I'm going to sell you this, but just so you know what I have here so you don't ever try anything on me. Yeah. And it wasn't just for me. I don't think I was ever a threat to this guy. Like, I'd come in, my 15-year-old, he was cool. But it was just for everybody else that came through there. And and then I've seen another guy, get, another one of my friends went there to get drugs from the guy next door it, or went to sell him. The guy said he wanted to buy some from him and, and he bought him a quarter pound and the guy came out with a shotgun and took it from him. Yeah. And um, so these things happen in a, a legal drug market. When I went to Colorado and I bought pot, I never felt like I was, I was in danger of somebody running up with a shotgun. Can it happen? It can happen at a liquor store. You can definitely be involved in robbery in a legal situation, but it's highly less likely because that they can call the cops and the robbers know that. If you're a legal drug dealer, they're not calling the cops and the yeah. robbers know that. Yeah. No, I, I really, I like your podcast. I, I, I like how it opens your mind to be able to understand the other side of the drug war the the propaganda has been so heavy so heavy and so instilled in our minds that having kids you know if, if I didn't think about it at all and I didn't listen to your podcast I wouldn't I, I don't I definitely wouldn't have the right the right knowledge and, and you would still if somebody said should they legalize heroin for addicts you would have said absolutely not exactly exactly and I and I just didn't getting to see what other countries have done and the reasoning behind doing it and you know I, I would still probably believe the argument that well now they'll be able to get it easy but when you look at the track record of of other countries and you can use alcohol as a good example of prohibition and then not prohibition and um it, it shows you that that's just not true so yeah yeah that, that's the thing is that it's, it's the idea is that it's and i've said this from the beginning we're i call myself we're anti-prohibition i'm anti-prohibition and but the anti-prohibitionists we want the same thing as the prohibitionists we want less drugs on the streets we want less addicts we want less overdoses and we want more a more safe environment to raise children. So we want the same things. The difference is that we the thing that we disagree on is how we get there. Well, we've been trying it the way the prohibitionists have said we should try it for 
over 50 years and it's got continually worse every single year. So clearly we are, they need to be open and open to trying it the way we're talking about. Let's try a different approach because this one is clearly not working. And like I said in the podcast, maybe we spend more money and make harsher penalties, but what's the number that we have to spend before we start seeing it go the other way and we start seeing a decrease. And I don't know if there is a number, but are we willing to spend it? And it's all to get people to not get high. Yeah, and it is crazy. And I, I also, I agree with, uh, with your argument about, you know, it's what, it's what people want to do. I want to have a drink so I don't feel nervous when I'm talking to people and so I can go out and socialize and just kind of let loose. I want to have a drink and do that. But I also might want um, to do a more hard drug. Um, I argue that, that we, alcohol is one of the hardest there is. But sometimes yeah. people like to get a little cocaine because if I feel a little tired, i got to give a presentation. Boom. And I've, I have friends that are doctors, lawyers that I've done cocaine with. They don't talk about it openly. So when you think about somebody who does cocaine, you don't think about successful exactly. people. But they do it. Exactly. I mean, no, that's true. And, and, that's true. And, and that stigma. Even I'm sitting here thinking about what I actually want to say, and I don't want to say it. And there's that stigma. And it's really not right that there's a stigma about about drug use that's so ingrained and so so i'll just i'll just go there so um i twice in my life i've done ecstasy and i i will say it is an amazing drug and it it was super fun and as an adult and if i knew i could take a safe you know have a sitter and do it in a safe environment just me and my husband i would absolutely do it again i would love to it was amazing i'd love to feel that feeling again but right now you can't, you can't do that. You can't and, do it. And, and that's the thing is it's good for relationships. People get married. They're married for a long time. You have kids. Sometimes being able to do that recharges relationships sometimes. And these are great things. They're, they're also curing PTSD with these drugs. Yeah. And we had um, somebody who watches our dogs sometimes said that they had a great experience their first time. And this is an older lady. And she said, not older lady, I should say she's probably probably 20 years older than us. But she said... Her and her husband did it one of the first times they met. They fell in love, and they haven't done it since, but they have their 20th anniversary coming up, and they want to do it again, and they thought of us. So they <laughs> asked us, and I had to be honest. I'm like, for one, I can't even get it for myself. Uh, I probably could if I looked for it, but I'm too scared to do it because of the fentanyl, and it's yeah. in so many, so many things. Now, if I had a good source, I would think to get some and get some test strips, but it's not easy to get right now. And it's just everything's so dangerous. And also the test strips don't tell you how much is in it. So and that's another thing. You might test for fentanyl, which most likely will. And most likely will have a safe, safe amount in it because they usually get it right. But, that, but you can't just take that roll of dice like that because if yeah. they got it wrong slightly, it could be lethal. So I just say I'm not touching that stuff yeah. until... I want to go to Barcelona, for instance. I said, next time Radiohead goes on tour, if they're in Barcelona, I'm going to see them there because I know I can get good drugs and go to yeah. see a good show. Where I'm not yeah. gonna feel like I'm gonna die. Yeah, and it's really not—it's really not right that I'm not that we're not allowed to do that. Right. Like the, the government has told us all these people that are like government shouldn't be able to tell you anything. Okay. Well, the government has told us the only drug you are allowed to do is alcohol. That's it. You or can't cigarettes do... or caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cigarettes <laughs> or caffeine too. Oh. Uh oh. <sighs> Crazy dogs. But um. Maggie, what you doing? <laughs> So, but it's, it's really not right for them to be able to tell us that. I mean, no, it's it, not. It, it, yeah. Let me pause this for one second. Yeah, so because I mentioned that in the podcast. It was something I read, one of those books I was reading for the research. But yeah, just like 
the idea that MDMA, which is a far safer drug than alcohol, is not we're not allowed to take it. And it's a great drug therapeutic. There's a lot of therapeutic um, potential there. And alcohol doesn't have a lot of that. I mean, it does have some bonding there. I, I believe al alcohol does have a slight therapy when you, I mean, the Navy SEALs use this technique. After they go through the training, they've weeded out the people that weren't strong enough mentally, and they get a group of guys that, together that are going to be do, going on missions. They figured out letting them go out and get drunk together is a strong bonding mechanism. So I, I think there is some kind of therapeutic uh, things, things about alcohol that we can use. But there's also a lot of negative things from alcohol that outweigh the positives probably 100 to 1. Yeah. And, and everyone knows this. This We're talking to, if someone's listening to this right now, they either grew up in the 60s or later. You know, I mean, they, they, they smoked a lot of weed. They probably did a lot of other drugs. I mean, everybody knows that it's ridiculous, especially that marijuana is not legal yet that people are still going to jail and getting criminal records and ruining their entire lives for little bits of marijuana it's it's freaking crazy because seriously alcohol you you don't there's there's bar fights there's aggression there's drunk driving there's all kinds of things and that's legal that's okay well drunk driving is not okay but le but it's legal to buy alcohol and consume it and and yet that would none of that would happen if you were high None of exactly. And that, that's another thing that bothers me. Every time you talk about legalizing cannabis, you hear people say, well, how do we stop people from driving on it? I want to say, well, is it a problem? Like, yeah. are people getting high and running into running stop signs and killing families? Because they, they, an alcohol, this does tend to happen. It's still less people, even with alcohol, than they make it sound like. More people are killed with texting and driving than drunk driving. But nonetheless, drunk driving can be very dangerous. But is smoking pot dangerous when you're behind the wheel? I mean, if somebody's clearly blazed when the cop pulls them over, the, then the cop doesn't need to, how do I know if they're high? You can tell if they're too messed yeah, up to drive. You absolutely but if can. somebody smoked a joint and they smoke regularly, they're fine. They don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, it, but this, they, this is fear mongering that's been going on yeah. through our society to where anytime you talk about legalization, people freak out. They go, yeah. oh no, what's going to happen to my kids? It's like, yeah. they might not get arrested for something they might choose to do. That's one thing that might happen if we legalize. Yeah, it, it, it's so much better. I know, I hate, when I think back, I think how many times our parents told us, don't smoke weed, it's a gateway drug. Don't smoke weed, it's a gateway drug. So the first time I was ever sitting in a room with you and Shannon and Justin, and I think we were at Travis Huffseller's house, and I was like, I'm gonna smoke weed for the first time today, I'm gonna do it. And um, that was just in my head, and, and so y'all went to pass it to me, and I, I, I chickened out, you'd say. But it was just so in, ingrained in my head that this, this is so dangerous. And um, Oh, and then Dad used to tell us it could be laced with something, and then you just die, and like crazy stuff. <laughs> like, I mean, it's crazy stuff. So, so then, so then I, I would have been way better off taking a little hit off of a joint at that moment because when I finally did smoke weed it was with Brad and Raymond who gave me a bong and I took the biggest bong hit you could possibly take choked for 10 minutes and then was high as a kite didn't even move out of the chair I was in I was so freaked out because I was just you thought you were gonna die I it was crazy and and of course you never feel like that again when you smoke weed like that that first time especially like that it it was it was the first crazy. time I did I I was scared too because of all the information I was told. And yeah. Me and uh, actually, me and Grant did it right here in Stanley, at his grandmother's house. And I remember he was like, "I got a bag of weed," and he bought it for like twenty dollars behind a the theater. We were like thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. And I was like, "All right, so 
So he smoked it the night before, and I was too scared. I took like a little puff, and I was good. I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. The <laughs> next day, and he, he seemed to enjoy it. The next day, we woke up. He's like, I'm going to go smoke another joint. He's like, you should smoke it with me. I was like, all right, you know what? Nothing happened with that little puff last night. So I smoked the whole thing with him, and I started feeling goofy and good. I was like, I like this. <laughs> and next thing you know, it was like full-blown trip. Like I was... <laughs> I remember I had these brand new Airwalks mom bought me skateboard shoes and I was like, I gotta make, and it was raining. I was like, I gotta make sure I don't mess these shoes up. And I'm walking, <laughs> I'm being, being very careful. Don't mess your new shoes up. And then all of a sudden it was like, like, fuck the shoes. I'm just like walking through mud pedals, laughing. Like I can't feel anything. And we're just, it was so much fun. And I remember I went home. I was still high when I got home. And mom had this thing. If you answer the phone, um, it, if you answer the phone and say hello, and the person on the other end doesn't immediately say hello, that means it's a telemarketer because it takes them a minute to click, so hang up. So I picked up the phone and I didn't say hello. I just waited for a minute and I was like, no one's saying hello. So I hung up. Mom's like, you didn't say hello. It's like, oh, I forgot that step. It's hello. Then if they don't respond, then hang up, not just wait for it. <laughs> it's like, I'm so high. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. But still, I, I just think it's crazy because our parents did live through the 60s and got high all the time. I and they, they, they lived through the 70s. I mean, they were alive in the 60s, but they were young. Yeah, okay, same, same but thing. Say, they were really smoking. Well, see, the 70s is when the anti-drug propaganda turned, turned on the heat. So, yeah, they were still around it. Um, Dad has a story about one of his brothers. I won't say which one because I, you know, anonymous. Yeah. But one of his brothers having a grocery bag full of pot that he, some hippie would drop off and then he would sell it. And yeah. So he saw all that going on. And down. he told us that one time they smoked and they were just laying on the floor and they were just blazed, just laying on the floor. Yeah. He, he knew what it was like to get high. And he had no business fear-mongering us like that. I think they were right. told to by, by the church, by the by the state, by the school. Every it's like yeah. make sure your kids know about drugs. Just say no. Like yeah. was was yeah. was at its peak. I mean, this was the eighties, so it was like drugs are menacing our society. You know, that's on my yeah. opening. Yeah. And that's that they were like it's the number one threat are drugs. And at the time Reagan started the drug war, drug use was not that bad. It was not that prevalent. I got, I think I read the thing from that in there that they said that the local. Law enforcement, well, like the federal government wants us to do what? Arrest people for what? Like, I mean, they yeah. didn't want the federal government coming and telling them how to handle crime. They also were like, well, what about murderers and rapists? That's the thing our people care about. They don't care about somebody smoking a joint. And then all of a sudden, they get all this cash incentive for, well, if you arrest somebody, you'll get 150 bucks for every arrest. And like, all right, well, we can round a few of them up. And now, almost every law enforcement division across the country is based around drugs. Yeah. That's the first thing you do when you go in is you have to learn about drugs. What are the laws? That's what my friend down there in the border patrol is learning. He's learning about what are the different laws to search. If they if they say this, you can search this. If they have a key, something like if you're if you have a a, a key a, something that's locked with a key, they can't search it without a warrant. But if you have the key on you, they can something like that. And if you have a combination, he said combination locks the best. I think because if I think uh, that's what he said, use combination lock. Because they can't, you can't, you don't have to give them the combination. But I guess they can still get a warrant to get into that if they feel the need. But if you're traveling and they don't feel like going to get a judge, they won't be able to open up your combination lock. But that's his whole training. Half of it is learning how to get drugs from people and arrest them. That's just so crazy. We have so much other stuff going on. I feel terrible for, especially the minorities that have been so targeted by the war on drugs and I mean, well, that was the original start... purpose of starting the war on drugs. Yeah, yeah. Was how do you how do you break up the civil rights movement and the hippie movement? Well, you can't arrest them. Was it, you can't arrest them for for protesting the war, and you can't arrest them for the color of their skin. 
but some of them like to use drugs, so we can start kicking in doors. And then they could plant drugs. They could, you know, mm-hmm. whatever they wanted to do, they could do. And these jazz clubs, a lot of the, the black musicians in the jazz clubs were smoking pot. But that was probably before the 60s, wasn't it? That's when it started, though, with Anslinger, was jazz clubs, go in there, arrest yeah. people. But when Nixon came in, it was the, the hippies were smoking pot and doing LSD, arrest them for that. And I, what, what I read was the black community's heroin was the thing they were getting arrested for, but... I haven't read a lot about that, other than that little bit I read about they were, Nixon said, rest the blacks for heroin, the whites for pot, but I didn't know that heroin was that big in their communities unless they just were, I don't know, either way, they they started the war on drugs to target those communities, and it's been used that way ever since. I remember remember going up and hearing people say things like, well, you can't tell me, like, people with racist thoughts that would be like, you know, well, tell me this, why is half the prison black? And yeah. they only make up ten percent like, of the population. Yeah. Like that's clearly because they're what because they're inherently evil. Like what are you yeah. saying? Yeah. But it's like it's no, crazy. it's clearly because the the criminal justice system targets them. Targets them yes. exactly. It's like clearly what you're saying is that our country's yeah. fucked up. Yeah. But you're you're saying it's their fault. Like like look at their arrest yeah. record. Like yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, no. It, that's when they talk about the systemic racism. That's what they're talking about in the criminal justice system, in the prison system, in in all of the, that. Yeah, that do people go overboard and get and all these what uh, Bill Mayer calls them the woke people get crazy about stuff. Yeah, but is there systemic racism? Absolutely, and that's an obvious place where it is. And uh, and and uh, I don't know I, the arguments from from the other side are that is crazy. It is crazy, and they they don't well they don't live in reality they live in the they live in the reality that makes them feel the most comfortable and the reality that like for instance if you were if you were born with you're you're white you're a white man you didn't go to college but you got a great job through a friend of a friend or whatever and you moved up in the company and now you're about to retire you don't want to think that any of that was handed to you you yeah. are a hard working american who didn't have to ask for a handout and you got what you want and when someone someone talks about reparations or something you go all oh, these lazy do good nothing and you've created the reality where everything you believe is how it really is but you're yeah. not willing to see what it was you don't know what it was like growing up in this, in baltimore where get you know selling drugs on a corner was pretty much your best option for a job and then you get a criminal record and then you and then say you have a, a family member that dies in the custody of a police van. Remember that when that happened? Oh, uh, Freddie Gray, that his name? Uh. He, he was in. Uh, he was apprehended by the police. They had him in the back, and I, I don't. We don't know if he tried to like get out of his handcuffs or whatever happened, but he got banged around in the back of the the paddy wagon, and he died. And I put something on Facebook, like like I was like, so somebody else. I won't say who it was. Somebody we were related to said. Well, for the wages of sins is death. Oh God! So, so I was like, uh-huh. I was like, are you serious? It's like, the wages of sins is death. He wasn't even found guilty yet. He was being taken, and then they're like, well, you should see his rap sheet. Uh, like, and then they said, of course you sympathize with a drug user because you used to be a druggie too. It was a family member of mine who said that, and it did, and I didn't even think well, it didn't offend me because I was like, but then somebody else was like, you need to tell your sister to take that down. Oh, sorry, tell that person to take that down. <laughs> I gotta edit that out. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I don't edit anything out. That was said on, on Facebook, and I just, I feel like that that's a lot of mentality. They're like, well, they shouldn't be doing crime. It's like, well, you don't even know what it's like to have yeah. any, you have no yeah. idea what it was like growing up in Baltimore. Yeah. Like, I've and watched The Wire. I know a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> from an outside perspective, I can see, but also, I read, I read a lot of this stuff. Read the new Jim Crow. 
that book yeah. like blew my mind on how they've just keep they keep on move, finding ways to screw over the black community yeah. and they just keep moving it and even the woman who wrote the book Michelle Alexander said she got a lot of letters a lot of letters from from black women who thanked her because they all blamed their sons or their you know baby daddies or you know who like for not being there like their the fathers and the and the sons and the brothers yeah. were never there for their family it was always them raising children on their own and they blame them They're like why can't they be there for my children why they keep getting arrested they keep getting in trouble and they didn't realize that they weren't seeing the whole picture they weren't realizing that their brothers and their sons and their de- and their father their fathers they were all swept up in this this movement to keep them down yeah. and and then when they saw it, they go oh so now they have forgiveness for them and they've actually went and visited them in prisons and they said since that book reading that book it really opened their eyes to what happened to their own loved ones who were that close to them that they couldn't even see they still had the blame on them and that's the way the system's designed make everybody think it's their fault and that's exactly what they did and the fact that it's working in their own communities I mean it's crazy yeah that is it yeah that sounds like a good book Uh, The New Jim Crow yeah it's a great book great book but um yeah so here we are in um, Mount Holly, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. We just got back from the mountain, so I got an RV. If you hear some of the noise in this podcast, it's my wife's uh, doing laundry in the other room because we have an RV parked in the front yard. Yes. Yeah. Van life for one week. Van life for one week. We got the dogs with us. We're having a great time. It's um, you do at, about halfway through any vacation, I start to miss home. I started to be like, is it almost over? I was like, no, you got a few more days. You got a few more people to see, which I'm excited about seeing. Yeah. But I'm also like, I kind of want to go home. It's because you live in sunny Florida and it's kind of dreary outside. He was being very optimistic when he's talking about the leaves. Cause I disagree with that. <laughs> I live in Florida and when you live there, it's still, it's got its, it's got its ups, but I get really tired of the palm trees and the, I, no, I don't. I get tired of the heat. But yeah. looking out here and seeing the, the fall, I miss having fall. We don't have fall. Like I, I still eat pumpkin lattes and pumpkin spice, like pump, yeah. pumpkin pie, and I try to make myself get in the spirit. TJ on his last podcast talked about it. I, I gave him an Oktoberfest. He goes, and he's from up Pennsylvania, so it was even more of a season. He's like, I can't, I can't get into the pumpkin stuff and the Oktoberfest stuff. He's like, it's just, it feels inauthentic down here. I was like, shut up. <laughs> like, I'm trying to get in the mood and you're ruining it. But um, I, I love this time of year. But um, so anyway, yeah, I just wanted to talk to you because you listen to my podcast and you've been on this podcast a few times. And every yeah. time you're on it, we talk about what's going on south of the border and none of that's changed. Um, what's weird, though, is that I've had people listen to the podcast, people in the family who are extremely uh, build the wall and get them out of our country. And I feel like when they listen to my podcast, it opened up their eyes to the to when, when we brought up the part where... It's not just dr- they're bringing drugs into the country. They would, they're not bringing them in here and dropping them off and knocking on doors. Who wants to buy some drugs? There's orders filled. People want them. They're, they have money. They're like, where are the drugs? So they're just filling up a demand. They're supplying yeah. a demand. Yeah. So the money that's going back down there is funding cartels. Where all our guns are the ones they're using. So there's a, it's not just drugs coming over here. It's cash and guns going over there. And I feel like our family member that listened, they actually were like, I never thought about it that way. And yeah. then they went right back to acting like they did never even, like that yeah. thought never occurred to them. And they yeah. went right back to just being, get them out of my country, build the wall. Yeah. Like, you didn't listen to anything we said because it's, I, I, I do believe in having a border and having a country. 
But I also believe in having compassion for people that are extremely been devastated by a drug war that we created, been devastated by an economic pressures that we've put on them and trade policies that we've put on them to keep them down. Absolutely. So, so I think it is some of our responsibility, if not all our responsibility, to help them, help those countries rebuild. And if we do that, that's good. If every dollar we spend on the wall, if we help spend it in the drug war and to rebuild those countries, they wouldn't, wouldn't need a wall. Yeah. There's a reason that we don't have to build a wall for Canada because they have a strong economy. They haven't been devastated by drug war or trade policies, so yeah. so they're not wanting to come down here and and you know get yeah. get jobs picking fruit yeah. or whatever. That you know these people are coming up here to pick fruit, do stuff you don't want to do. We can't even. We have a, a huge shortage in restaurants. You know who cooks all your food? Yeah, it's the Mexicans and, and the, the Hispanic people, absolutely, yes. and the and who. Um, builds all of the houses and actually does a good job and and has work ethic and and are great people i i can't even deal with all the haters on the on the uh yeah you know i was thinking when you were talking about the um opioid crisis should be called the opioid regulation crisis i was thinking the immigration crisis needs to be called the refugee crisis at the southern border something like that because it's absolutely a refugee crisis uh, they, they don't want to, they they don't even want to have to come here they like it in mexico or wherever they're from if they could if they had a if it was safe and if it, that's where their family is why would they want to uproot their entire lives and come here that it's not safe there and the united states has imposed this imperialist we're a giant and we've imposed economic policies and um all kinds of on every single nation south of the border we've completely screwed them wrecked their economies put in only people that care about our big corporations like we always do and then we're mad when they're trying to come up here after we've funded the cartels and created a horrible situation in their country and and then we're just mad that, that they're trying to come up here and work and and it, and overall be great people they have an awesome culture of 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 family loving the family and um they're great people it's just it's, it's just ridiculous i don't want to hear anybody have to say anything bad about hispanic people coming across the border it just makes me so mad but okay i like what you said though it's all about how we phrase things in this country and that make headlines and that put fear into people's hearts like the opioid crisis it's a drug problem no it's a regulation problem the immigration problem is these are not people who are immigrant they're not immigrating here they're refugees they have nowhere to go and yeah. they, and the and people like and that are against immigration here they tend to say well you shouldn't come here because well they only come here because we give them free stuff we'll say well, we are the richest country in the planet so we have the ability to help them some but we're not helping them as many as people people act like they're just coming over here and we're giving them houses it's like that's yeah. not happening yeah no that's that's not and that's great and the, the health care stuff oh my god but this isn't supposed to be political but i um but I, well i do yeah. think though i mean how how this relates to the drug war is so the drug war is really the biggest problem in these countries, and that's the reason that you have uh, the human trafficking and all these other things that they complain about. These are all funded by drug cartels. If the drug mm -hmm. money stops, that there's not enough money in human trafficking alone. I mean, I don't know. I've not done the investigation this to be 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that without the drug money, the other kind of things would be easier to bust up. But the yeah. drug money so it makes these yeah. groups so powerful that they get away with a lot. And 
I really think that you can, it's very simple. I shouldn't say simple what you do because it involves legalizing drugs in this country and that's not simple. That's not going to happen. But if we did legalize cocaine and make places that people could go like, oh, you want, you like to do coke on a Friday or Saturday night, you can go to this place. They kind of keep an eye on how much you do, talk to you, make sure you're doing all right. And then you buy some cocaine and you can take it to the club or whatever you want to do. And then you keep the, the co- cocaine produce production coming from Peru and Colombia and you keep the, the, groups that are transporting it, you let all the cartels still have that job, you just legitimize the job, legitimize the trade, and create free trade, and then allow the Mexican government to work with those people. And then all of a sudden, so then you have a strong economy, you have jobs created that are not murderous. And now you have people that like, I don't want to go to the US, I have a great, a safe place to work, safe place to live, and it's beautiful beaches, I'm gonna stay here. And then you're gonna, they're gonna be wanting to build a wall to keep us from getting out of their country, because it's gonna be better than ours. You even had, that just made me think, like um, for, about it being safe. You had what they call they would call them uh, the maquiladora murders, or something, you know, and the maquiladoras were all these huge U.S. owned mainly companies that would set up just south of the border, all over the across the Mexican border, just so they could pay less wages than they're already underpaying us. But okay, um, but either way, these women would would be working all day for hardly nothing with and they also had horrible working conditions and no um, maternity leave or anything that they would have to give them here in the United States as a human right because these are human beings regardless of I don't think there's maternity leave as a right in this country at, uh, well regardless you get uh, there's it there's a lot of you rights get here. a lot of things here well you do get the the family medical leave act at least gives you um, the ability to take off work for up to 12 weeks even if it's not paid. But either way, um, but these women would get off work and they were getting murdered on, on the way home from work and like hundreds of murders. It, it's just not even, not even safe. And it's a U.S. company and we're exploiting all the profits that are going back to the United States. Everyone talks about, oh, they come here and they send their money back home. You want to know how much profits one person in the United States that owns this huge company gets to bring back and just gets to live lavishly and pay them nothing and they get murdered on their way home? Yeah, they're coming across the border. Yeah, that's what you said. That they, they build these companies just across the borders for cheap labor, and then it draws people up from southern Mexico and other places to work at these factories, and then they get overcrowded, and then they can look over a border and say, "Well, there's jobs over there that pay even better," and then some of them are going to come over here and try to get some of those jobs. And a lot of them do come legally. That's another thing yeah. people don't realize. They they overstay what they're supposed to stay, but they end yeah. up with a life and a family. And yeah. So many of the people that are out there arguing about immigration that are like, oh, these Mexicans need it, and you know, like they're all from Mexico, but okay. Also, don't um, forget Mexico used to include what Texas and New Mexico yeah. and California. Well, we stole from them in 1848. Yeah, so, so I think. their ancestors actually yeah. farmed and lived on that land, and it was theirs, and white settlers, uh, settlers just said, no, it's not yours anymore. Go ahead and go ahead and get off it. Yeah, no, it's crazy. But but so many of these people that own a construction business or a Christmas tree farm or whatever, they all use Hispanic labor and they pay them nothing. But every single, and so many of them are the same exact people that say, build the wall, I don't want them up here. And yet they're using Hispanic labor. Like, and, and I mean... I don't know. Some of them work closely with them, like 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 friends. I just I, I can't understand how you could be that close to someone on a daily basis, it's just, Monday that, through it's Friday. The, it's the amazing ability we have to compartmentalize. I mean, the human brain has a way where it can actually think contradictory things. I mean, it it is crazy, but um, yeah, okay. But that's I know this isn't about uh, immigration. 
Well, could be true. about. I mean, honestly, yeah. this I think they're so related. The war, the, the war on drugs and immigration. I think that that's the number one thing. I mean, there's a lot of other things like economic things that we've done in, in, in the south of the border with trade policies and stuff that have devastated them economically that would send, want them to come up here. But the, the drug cartels is the number one reason right now why they're fleeing because, it, I mean, these are things you don't think you can quite comprehend whether you have walking to work, they said it used to be the first time that there was, because what happens is the drug cartels are at war with each other. So they send a message and it might be like, all right, we're gonna cut off a hand and and send it to them in a box. Well, then the next one, they have to they have to up that. They go, we can't just send a hand, we gotta send a head. So they send a head. The next one's like, all right, well, we gotta post a body on a stake and put it up on the you know on the top of the church or something crazy. So they keep upping the what the craziest thing they can do to make themselves seem like they're the most dangerous because that's how the war the, the drug turf thing kind of works. And so you, you, what you had is like in the city, it was a uh, was it Chihuahua? It was one of the cities right south of the border. And this, uh, T- was it Tijuana? It wasn't Tijuana. It okay. was, um, I don't remember, but um, it was in the uh, Chasing the Screen book. But basically, so people were on the way to work. There was like a body in the road or something, and they, they freaked out. Everybody was like just so you know scared about what they saw and, and devastated that there was a body. And fast forward like two years, they passed by multiple bodies and body parts on their way to work, and they don't even think about it. Because it's become so normalized because that's just a part of life there that there's you're gonna see blood and guts you're gonna see some stuff you don't want to see and that's when those kids dressed like angels and stood up on those mm-hmm. um, like they had these like stools they would stand up on with these really long dress so they and they have angel wings and they so they would look like these you know seven foot tall angels with wings and they would hold up signs that were up opposing the cartels and they said it was one of those brave, brave things that they could have done. And so far, none of them had been murdered by the cartels, but they said every day they were asking for it. And who knows, if, since that book's written, if they've done anything with those. But it could just be a respect, because they they're all Catholic, even the cartel members. So maybe because they're a part of the church, they don't mess with them. But Yeah, so. but, but people would argue, people, you know, would, would argue that they need to, um, well, then the Mexican government needs to do something about it. They need to get the police to do something about it. Okay, here's what's going on. And this is a really broad, I, you know, but, but this is exact, exactly, this is generalized, but this is what's going on. U.S. companies and foreign companies take all of the wealth out of the country and send it home. And um, if, if, if they say, like, Costa Rica made some laws that so much of the profits have to be reinvested in their economy, well, if you do too much of that, the U.S. company is going to go to India or somewhere else. And you have to have a source of, of money. Right, so so that's going on on that level. So they don't have the capital that they should for the wealth of products that, that they and, and labor and everything that they have in their country. They're not making money that way. Then on the drug war side, you have cartels being funded by people in the United States, basically buying their trucks. So you are funding the criminals and underfunding the government. And that's a really general sense of what is actually going on. So you can't say, I, oh, the government just has to step in. We, America, have completely screwed them. That's, that's the gist of it. It is. And then, the, and then there's, so there's so, so little wealth in the countries that these, the police forces that they would need to go up against the cartel, they just don't have. But So the cartel actually will help fund some of the police forces themselves, mm-hmm. which means you can't go after a cartel that's funding your police force. So they kind of work together in a... In a strange way but they do have a kind of a mutual understanding this dog is picking up very loud <laughs> yes 
Yeah, it's a lot. She was saying some really important stuff there, and the dog's just kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that gets real loud. Sorry. I thought it would be better if they were outside. If they're not barking, it's great. I think maybe Meg came out. She, I think she did. They're concerned about your dog, so. Yeah, I understand. We need to let them all play together. It's not raining. They can go out in the yard right now. Well, okay, um, but we don't have to. I mean, well, we can wrap it up. We, I just wanted to do a little podcast because I'm here in town visiting, and every time we visit, you know, we talk about some interesting stuff, and it's it's um, a lot of our family disagree with us on these things, so it's fun yeah. to get together and just talk yeah. about them. And I'm hoping to get mom on the podcast tonight if I have enough time. Um, just to, we're not going to talk political stuff. I'm going to talk to her about you know I wanna, I'm going to ask her some of the questions about like why did you and dad feel the need to to spread the anti drug propaganda like. Did you believe it yourself at that point? Because, you know, you know, so ask some of those kind of questions, see what she says. I'm curious. Because I, I think it's easy to get swept up when there's a, a big movement in the country to go a certain direction, whatever, whatever that direction is. And some people are more susceptible, susceptible to being swept up in those tides, especially when they're political tides. And that was a, a Republican-led initiative with Reagan. And our family was very, you know... They're very Republican, so I think that they got swept up in that tie, which might have been, you know, almost um, like in a, in a way like a, what's the word I'm looking for, where they, like had it been a Clinton initiative, they might have been very against it, but it was a Reagan initiative, so they're like, they're almost going to believe it, just blindly go, I never thought yeah. about drugs that way, but now that he's saying it, this makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it was crazy to think to see that what like Clinton was almost worse than Reagan when he came in but it was almost like he did it to prove that he wasn't going to go soft on crime yeah I'll, here's how not soft I'll be I'll go harder yeah and he did the three strikes you're out policy which has destroyed lives and he did the uh, well remember he said he was campaigning and he like flew back to Arkansas so he could witness the execution of a like mentally retarded uh, retarded is not the word anymore but you know what I mean it, it was a mentally disabled guy. It's like just a proof that I'm tough on crime. It's like this is just so we're we're an, we're an insane species. Yeah, that, I, mean, I mean that's true. But yeah, the the unwillingness of people to say, well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, it, it's super, exactly it's super frustrating because I know in the past I believed a lot of. I was pretty conservative in my twenties, and just over time I just. Realize like this no this just isn't this this these things are not right I mean it's okay to change your mind it's good to be able to change your mind and, and look at things objectively but. I like what Bill Maher said he, he's like I'm an old school liberal you know he's talking about these new liberals that are like there should be a separate graduation for black people if they want it at their colleges. There should be, they should have those separate spaces. He's like, I come from, I'm an old school liberal. I come from uh, segregation was a bad thing. Yeah. You know, and he's like, uh, he's like, I'm old school liberal, working class, you know, the, the working class party, which was yeah. the Democrat party. That's yeah. what I am. Yeah. I, I don't think that we should, like this whole, the, the government that, I don't want to get into the, I'm not for handouts because that, that's over, that's exaggerated on how, yeah. how bad that is a part of our deficit. It's corporate yeah. tax breaks and all these, that, that, that's where our money goes. The idea that, well, you can't give, you can't just give out money. Well, you're going to have to at some point because people, the, the job market keeps drying up for, um, like as automation becomes a big thing, we're losing jobs. That's what Andrew Yang's platform was. Well, what do we do once automation takes more and more and more jobs? 
you're going to have to redistribute the wealth from the top. You're going to have to get tax the tops and put it into the working class. Yeah. Again, that's something for an economic podcast that I'm not educated enough to have. Yeah. So yeah. I listen to the smart people on, on economics and yeah. I go, that makes sense. And then I hear somebody else who contradicts them. I'm like, that kind of makes sense too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But um, so anyway, we'll wrap it up. It was good talking to you as always. And um, hopefully uh, we'll get to do this again soon. I'll be back in a few weeks, but I won't have time to do it then. So, okay. But a few weeks will be too soon anyway. We'll yeah. get some more stuff to talk about. But it's always good with you t- talking to you about what's happening south of the border. We were going to just do the opioid crisis talk, but, I mean, you know so much about what's south of the border. that, yeah. and, there's so, and it's such an important issue right now. And I like what you said. That's a message for this podcast. So let's stop calling it the immigration crisis. Let's, let's call it the refugee crisis. Yeah. Let's go with that. I thought I like it. Yeah. All right. That's it for today. So peace, peace out. out. Peace. peace.